Hello, this is Improvised Radio Theatre with Dice, with me, Michael Kuehl. And me, Roger Bellwurst. It's April, and two old fools are here to talk to you about what, what is it we are talking about? Magic! Oh yes, that stuff, yes. And how do we define it, and how do we build it? And, and where can you get cheap mana these days? And also, what's the difference between personality and backstory? And if players are giving you one, how can you get them to give you the other one? Always one do you want, anyway. Onward. Something that's come up recently is the guiding principles of magic, not just the lore or... It was spelt with the L-O-R-E, wasn't it? Indeed, but what what are the logical questions and constraints? And when when you're building a magic system, what are the underpinnings that really matter? The yeah the the principles rather than the chrome. I think I think I think what we're thinking about. I think this applies to not just um, magic in the proper sense, but also all sorts of things that could maybe do everything. Um, all sorts of science that you don't understand really how it works. Yeah, I think we need a term for things things you get in RPGs that you don't get in the real world that are not just genre conventions. Wonders, miracles. Miracles is the is the is the word that um uh one roll engines superhero game wild talents uh, uses for 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 all superpowers. However, <laughs> however conceit, however whatever source it's derived from whether it's uh, it's magic or your Kryptonian heritage or whatever. Yeah, though e- even in a nominally very hard science fiction universe, if if you have biotech that can rewrite people's DNA, that would similarly count as magic for this purpose. Yeah, well, if if you can do it on the hoof, and especially if you can do it before the end of the episode. <laughs> okay, I have been thinking about this partly because of my recent... Um, uh, Dawn of Magic game, and partly in general principles, that when you design something with incredible powers, one of the most important things that you do is nerf it. And mm. I want the nerfing to be consistent. I want to be able to give a consistent answer to why it can't do this and why it can do that. And one of the things I was flailing about with in the Dawn of Magic game was finding the issues. It depends. You you said not the Chrome, but it seems to me that if you can integrate such a thing with the Chrome, it will work better. Yes, yes, it will work better. It looks better. It feels better. It is neater and cooler if if the justification, if the story justification works with the actual mechanical way way it works out. But it gets very meta. Um, let's start with a, a question which I um, should have carefully thought about before I started doing any sort of uh, creating a magic system game. Can it make something out of nothing? And what sort of something out of nothing can it make? We are wedded nowadays to uh, Newtonian um, physics, or as modified, as, as currently being amended. But and and we believe with the nineteenth century that that uh, nothing is destroyed, nothing is created, energy and matter stay constant. But magic isn't like that, or is it like that? Should it be like that? It depends on the world. 
if you're going to bring magic into a modern world where this sort of thing is understood, mm-hmm. then yes, it should. Um, Why? There, well, there, is a quest- there is a question about where the energy comes from. If, if you are creating mass, that has implications for the universe. Yeah. Now, you can say that energy is coming from somewhere else that um, physics to date hasn't worked out mm. how, to, how to look at, and that's fine. Yeah. Um, this opens the possibility that eventually the, the physicists of this world will work out what's going on. I don't regard that as a bad thing. Hmm. The the idea that well, the idea I think behind all magic, as commonly currently defined, uh, whether fictionally or, or or by quote the people who think they're doing it for real, are unquote, um, is that there is a higher level of reality. What we see here is merely an effect of it, a fragment of it, a subset of it. And if you can reach those other realms, those higher realities, you can tweak it. However, I sometimes think of it as a lower reality, that our um, that our world is the front end, the user interface of the simulation, and there are lower level um systems that are creating it which you can interfere with yeah i was going to say the simulation hypothesis is is very close to this the the idea that there are things controlling the observable phenomena and those things that are doing the controlling are themselves subject to being controlled yeah but there is a distinct difference between this and the older model the older model says the higher think talks about the higher realities about gods and and forms and ideas in eternity. Whereas the newer model says we are the accumulation of our conscious selves, our actually acting beings, are the accumulation of lower systems which are sustaining us. I think that's a, a moral and emotional difference if you don't bow down before the software that's keeping you together. That's interesting. I don't really see that as a meaningful distinction at all. But then I'm recli- I'm inclined to regard what what we would see as gods as being overprivileged users that have got above themselves. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that in 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 the model I'm thinking of, the gods are in a privileged position at all. They have a lot of work to do. They have higher levels of access. Well, yeah, but, but they ju- don't... just as the magician has a higher level of access. Well, yeah, but they don't. The, they... the, the border between a magician and a god is much thinner than that between a normal human and a magician. Hmm. I think. Well, I, I was playing one of my favourite characters last night. This is my... <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the 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 point being that, that I maybe I'm drawing this off uh, of Greg Stafford's Glorantha, where the gods have more power, but they have a lot less choice. They have the ability to do a lot of things, but the things that they do are restricted by their nature and their and their um and and and, and the power they bring they, they 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 have gained or have always had ties them down and it's the human beings that actually have the ability to make new things. Mm. Well that that that's his specific worldview I think. Yeah I, yeah, I don't think it's intrinsic to no. the idea. Uh, it seems to me that in in a universe of this sort, a, a sufficient level of access would let you do anything you can imagine. And the interesting mm. question is, what can you imagine? 
Yeah. All right. Go on to some other issues. All right. The Ask Magica, I should probably men mention in passing. And I'll come back to Ask Magica later, I think. Um, solves this by saying you can create things ex novo, but you need special magical stuff to do it. And half the half of the game is spent chasing around looking for sources of the special magical stuff and fighting mm. with other magicians who want it for themselves, which is a good way of making the story go forward. But I'm not, I was never quite sure it entirely worked as as a model. It doesn't feel satisfying. It's it, it it's saying you you've got this slight elevation of privilege, but you have, but there's clearly more to be had. But we're not going to talk about that. Hmm. There's there. Well, you ask Magica because it. You're researchers. Yeah, you're supposed. Well, you're supposed to. Um, you're supposed to figure out the uh, the secrets of the universe. But I never quite understood how the 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 writers were deciding what made sense as secrets of the universe. Right, going on to so, yeah, well, no, another example of things that can't be done. Um, the okay, it's hack fantasy, but it was very popular hack fantasy. Mm -hmm. uh, David Eddings, um, I love it. I, did, I, did, I, li I like the first series. All right, you may call. I, I, and, and he very kindly wrote it again. Yeah, and again and again. Oh God, oh God. But in in that you have one absolute rule of magic, which is you cannot destroy things magically. You can burn them, you can smash them into bits or whatever, but you cannot make them cease to exist. Yeah. And, if and, you try, and because the magic is all improvised, people can lose control and uh, try to do this, and this is generally uh, yeah, a bad thing. Yeah, they think of the pink elephant and it destroys them. Um, yeah, there, he also had fun with uh, uh, a reaction, action, and reaction, and um, trying to trying to figure thing uh, figure things out. You were allowed to create new stuff there, mm -hmm. and quite casually. At one point, the central character Garion goes out and creates. A new flower out of some twigs um, that he uh, that he, mm. an entirely new plant uh, the, that just happens to have miraculous healing properties as a sort of side issue because he is that unconsciously awesome, which is yeah. Lo looking into that, that that really suggests you have either a conscious entity or or some really smart software behind the scenes mm. because there is clearly an awful lot of detail needed there. Yeah, that he doesn't know. Alternatively, you could have a more Aristotelian worldview, which I know is something that you've had problems yeah. with before, and, and say, if you, if you can define the nature of this thing, then the mm. details will be filled in automatically. Yeah, its purpose, its function makes it go through. I was going to come back to Aristotle in, the, in talking more about Ars Magica's model, because it is very hard to get your head around the physics. Mm -hmm. um, I've said this before, and I'll probably say it again of anything other than what's been drilled into us. I... All right, this this comes on well, to... Well, it's, it's not a predictive physics is the problem. It's a descriptive physics. Yeah, this happens, and therefore it must happen. It, it says the moon stays up because it is, is its nature to stay up. But it does not say, given some other lump of rock, is it a moon-like thing or is it a rock-like thing? Yeah, because there's only one moon. Everybody knows this. You can't find, go around finding other moons... The world, the basic conservatism of Aristotelian, for that matter, um, Platonic physics, assumes the world is that it, as it always has been and always will be, and things mm -hmm. do not change. Novas would have come to, as a terrible shock to them had they ever bothered to notice them. <laughs> One of the things um, that I found myself debating in the uh, Dawn of Magic game was a difference between three terms. 
mind, soul, and spirit. Those have different connotations, I think. What What is your distinction between the latter two? The, the former I can see fairly, fairly simply. Originally, in Aristotelian thought, Platonic thought, and I think it's Platonic rather than Aristotelian, Plato, I think, defines the soul as the form of the body. Now, that, think about that for a moment. The form is the idea, the thing that makes um, the, a thing what it is. Um, the form of iron is the thing that makes a lump of iron what it is. Its shape it's a, is, an, is an accident, and but um, it's, it's, it's fundamental as, nature. Its fundamental nature is iron. And in some sense, each human has a form, which is their soul, and each soul is part of the greater form soul. That isn't what we normally think of in the modern day when we think of soul. Mm-hmm. Following Christianity, we think of soul as the immortal, conscious, ongoing part of yourself. Indeed. All right. And, and one of those is you're using a spirit, yeah? Well, no. This is what started to worry me. It came out of the fact that um, Ask Magica allows you to do a spell called uh, Whispers Through the Black Gate, which is... you. <laughs> isn't that a lovely title? They do wonderful titles in Ask Magica, which means you go up to a dead body and you... Uh, cause it to talk to you about what it knows about, which is normally about uh, how it's very cold here and it's uh, and how it just died. So it, it's current post-death experience. Yeah, the Christian Church looks upon this uh, unkindly, but the mag- magicians say no, it's all right. We're not interfering with the soul, only the spirit. And I know that there are. Um, ideas in Egyptian. Um, uh, it's a seven-part soul. Seven-part soul. Yeah. The, do you remember the the Dennis? Wheat, have you ever read the Dennis Wheatley book, The yeah. Car of Gifford Hillary, in which um, the 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 dream self of uh, of a, of a dead man is wandering about all the time, and it turns out not to be his eternal soul, but um, but a projection of his dreaming self. Fair enough. Spoiler there, by the way. Let's put the spoiler <laughs> at the start of that. Yeah, spoilers for for fifty plus year old books. I don't think we need to worry about. Well, some somebody might enjoy it in a very limited way. It's Dennis Wheatley, but I just sort of decided, and this, and this is a problem with me. I sort of decided that to make reincarnation part of the model. I never got around to revealing this to the players, though I think they suspected it. <laughs> And say that the soul is the on, is the thing that is a spark that goes on to the next incarnation. The spirit is the consciousness generated by by the, is the awareness generated by the body, and the mind is somewhere in between. I thought you were going to say the spirit was was arising from the mind and the soul. That would have been fun. Well, yeah, it would make. I think I probably I am saying that. It's sorry, proceeding from. Proce- oh, for Pete's right sake. All right, let's not let's not become blasphemous this early in the in the <laughs> podcast. But it's a very difficult all those three concepts, mind, soul, spirit and body for that matter. If you look into them in detail and, and in the way we use them, they are much more complicated. And I'm not sure how much of that was 
me designing it because it was necessary or me designing it because I thought it was really cool and fun. Well, I think this does point out that if you are going to have magic that can interface with your world's metaphysics, you need to know what that world's metaphysics are. Yeah. Um, I... Well, I, I, it, it starts out because I, I think it started out thinking about this because one of the things that the players inputted into the campaign was they didn't want mind control magic. Did they want one of them wanted no mind control magic? Mm-hmm. And you have to think about this. This is the other end of designing um, a magic system. The things you want to deliberately nerf. Yeah. Uh, no time travel. Was put into into the into the specifics, and for that I'm deeply grateful. I, I quite like Niven's principle on this. Mm. Basically, either either the timeline can correct itself, or it or you get fragmented timelines. If the timeline can correct itself, then the easiest way for it to correct itself after lots of time travel is that time travel is never invented, and that's a stable state. Yeah. If it splits into multiple timelines, then then the one you're aware of is more more likely to be one where time travel is never invented, <laughs> because you're still there. Uh, the reason we exclude my time travel is because it's a bugger to... Have we ever done time travel as a as a genre? We, we talked about... Um, Continuum? Continuum. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> but, well, I think, as we said then, it's a bugger uh, to... Uh, Even to, for a young and enthusiastic GM. Yeah, which we're not, let's be perfectly frank. It, it, uh, it's difficult, and, and if you look at the design of most time travel games, they have... All sorts of caveats and nerfings written into them, which but, does seem to me to take take the fun away. And that, that the thing I like about Continuum, it gets a lot of things wrong. But the thing I do like about it, it says, "Yes, you're a time traveller. Go have fun with it." Mm. And Except, if you're going to have a time travel game at all, it might as well be that. I agree. The, a time travel game. I, look, I, I think that the the, the man who folded himself is a, <laughs> is, a, is a is a is a much better um, uh, is a much better uh, model for uh, for time travel. That other than the say uh, Paul Anderson's Time Patrol stories, but on the other hand, the Time Patrol stories make make much better team games. Mm. Yeah, well, we, we we've said before it's the distinction between is it time travel or is it a way of getting to where the adventure happens. Mm. But yeah, anyway, um, it seems to be one of the things you you could look at, particularly for the concept of a magic system, mm-hmm. is where does the power come from? Yeah, um, we we know it is being channeled through the brain, mind, whatever you want to call it, of an individual spellcaster. Yeah. But is that um, their own power that they are generating internally? Is it some sort of external non-sapient force that they, that they are Trapping tweaking? into, yeah. Or is it a sapient thing that they have to talk to and negotiate with? And it seems, seems to me that those are, there may well be more options, but those three broad categories will all give you fairly different flavours of magic system. It will, yeah. and And it will make the... A magician whose job is to persuade inhuman forces to do things is a trickster. And yeah. a magician whose 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 job is to command inhuman forces is a complete and utter bastard. <laughs> um, um, and w- whether they also turn into the party's charisma monster depends on whether the same reaction modifiers work on inhuman forces as, as work on human beings. Well, quite. Um, that, that you might well argue that uh, the opposite is the case. They're working in the way that um, I, I talk to machines all the time. I, I try to talk to people like that. Like that, it doesn't matter. Doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. But but you can't say to people, "Start working, you bastard, or I'll kick you," which is how I talk to machines. <laughs> I think I th- and uh, and a, a magician who is 
tapping into unsee sections of reality that are unseeable to other people is I, an I engineer, think as, I think. I think of this as a magnetism approach. Mm. Magnetism is out there. If you know it's there, you can you can do things that interact with it. You might potentially do things by accident that interact with it. Uh, I'm no clearer. Well, basically, if 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 you most most of the time you won't be aware of it at all. Mm. There are certain th innocent seeming things you can do that will interact with it in some way and make you think, "Gosh, that was strange." Mm. If you know what you're doing, you, you can do this deliberately. And, and achieve some more practical effects. Yeah. One thing you need to think about um, is whether everybody can do this. Because this has social effects in the, in the game. Yeah. Uh, also, is, is this something you need an innate talent for? Yeah. How long does it take to learn to do it, I, even just the basics, or to, mm. to a player character useful level? Yeah. Um, uh, and can you... Get, if you don't have the ability to uh, uh, at the start, is there some means of you to for you to acquire the ability? And is it, is it a dark and ixum one? Do you, are there <laughs> things out there which will give you um, the access to power you want for their own devious purposes? It's a good trope. I'm not sure that it's necessary. Why does it want ingots of aluminium? <laughs> Let's not ask. <laughs> Why rubies? Emeralds are so much prettier, but no, no, no. Another consideration, of course, is, is this is going to map into society. How long have people been doing it? How openly have they been doing it? You, yeah. you had a great advantage in Dawn of Magic in that it was Dawn of Magic. Mm. There, there were rumours and things, but fundamentally there hadn't been practical reproducible magic in the world yeah. until the point where it started. There hadn't been widespread. There, there were hints of previous ages of ma a magic firmly suppressed by the Church, I might say. In the, in the World War Two game... There, there has been mucking around with time, and yeah. it's, it's all become a bit unclear. But it seems to be about magic. Seems to be about thirty years old. Have you? Are you ever planning? You may want to edit this bit out. Are you ever planning to give your players access to time travel magic? You haven't thought about no. it. No. Oh, he's thought about it now. Well done. The there are the. The last incident of time travel... Well, the, the, the only incident of time travel that has happened in the campaign, as far as the player characters know, it caused the destruction of the universe where it originated. Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a health and safety warning. You're right there. <laughs> <laughs> they're already trying not to blow up the universe they're in and to stop other people from doing it. That's, a, that's, a, that's an excellent thing, uh, thing to do. I would encourage them to continue avoiding doing it, that. that. It has been determined that if the world ends, the Germans have not won the war. But even so... Right. <laughs> right. OK, let, let's not consider what might happen if Churchill finds out, because... Um... What to tell Churchill has, has been a question on people's minds, particularly Maxwell Knight's mind. Hmm. All right, going back in time to what I said about earlier about nerfing it. Yeah. Um, one of the things you have to consider, because this is magic and the chrome does matter, is its interaction with divine powers, and if there are any divine powers. I have... Um, yeah, I, I, I'm inclined from my essentially secular worldview to regard um, divinely granted powers as a bigger sort of negotiating with a sapient being magic. I'm not. Th I'm not. I'm not talking about divinely granting. Well, all right. I, perhaps I am. I'm talking about whether 
the divine powers that be, if they be any divine powers, are um, are in favour of magic or against it, and whether magic f and the divine powers fight against it. Ask Magicka chose to say that um, true faith and holy relics and the presence of the one God fight against uh, magic and protect those who are holy to a degree against magic. The only way you can get any shield against magic, the only two ways you can get a shield against magic are the Order of Hermes and the and the various um, churches and faiths that worship the one God. You've got a relic uh, in your pocket, you are protected to a degree. I can see why they did it. I'm not sure if you want necessarily to do it. Can well, magic? I, I think right, that throws out a world design again. Yeah. Do Do you want the church to be essentially opposed to magicians? You know, the, the witchfinder model, mm. or not? You know, the inquisitor yeah. model, I should say rather. The witch well, if you go if you go historically, then you, you, as I did, then you've got to go with a large part of the church saying no, wicked, evil, bad. We do not understand it. Burn, burn. But one of the things I found coming up in the game, and I should have thought about it, was this. Can you use magic to detect God? <laughs> look, look, on, all the, on, on many of the foolish internet uh, uh, ah. groups I, I, I go, go on. Not but people ask, what would, what would you scientists do if we, if, we, if, we, if we proved that God exists? What would you well, the, the, believers do if, if we proved God didn't exist? The, there's a simple answer to that. <laughs> Go on. In order to prove, in order to detect God with magic, you need to be able to distinguish a state, a state of space with God in it from space with no God in it. This is true. And? And God is meant to be omnipresent in this model. Oh. How do you create a space with no God in it? Yeah, it's like Dogbert's stick for detecting stupidity in humans. People are exactly human. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Well, come on. The what I did foolishly. No, this this is a serious argument. All right, go on. Yeah, if if you build a spell that 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 says, that says detect something and it says detect something all the time, <sighs> it may be terribly well researched, but you can't test it. Quite. And th I think this is an intrinsically untestable proposition with an omnipresent God. Uh, if you were to d if you were to say um, areas of particular divine influence or something, then that's fair enough. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. Is there more God here? What is the God rating of this particular in uh, location? Well, that basically just works like mono levels, doesn't it? Hmm. Yeah. Well. All right. What if I think what what what, what the question was more I was asking was more like what if science or technology, or magic, could get you God's telephone number. And, uh, how did you get this number? Huh. Which, if any of these many, many, many implementations of people writing about you is, is most correct? Easy. I'm sorry, let me let me put you through to the PR department. <laughs> and yeah. it, there are a number of people who have been, um, fr from an outsider's perspective, deconstructing the... Um, Let's be polite and call them literary works of, of the real true Christian subgenre. Yeah. And really what one gets from that is that the God that they profess to believe in is very much like an abusive father who hits people for no reason and, and then uh, claims it was for something they did. 
Yeah. And if if you found found out that a god was like that, then the sensible thing to do is fight, whether or not you have any chance of winning. Mm. Yeah, I have thought hard about um, running a game in which um, you could get the answer to that that question, but it turns out to be that the that the the one true god is a load of nonsense, and there are lots and lots of of, of the buggers out there. How about if? But none of them have ever come to Earth. All of the Earth Earth religions are false. That makes note for future space game. What mm. what practical application does this have? Well, when the real thing t- t- turns up, it buggers up your society no end. <laughs> hello, hello. I've just arrived for Alpha Centauri. Would you like to hear about the one true gods? Yeah. I I, I don't know what the what right thing to do is here. It's one of those... God is a really good way to nerf magic. It's a really good way to negate anything. Well, it, to... it, it is essentially arbitrary. Yeah. I am generally happier with systems that are not arbitrary. Hmm. Um, I'd like them to make make some sort of parallel sense. But if arbitrary is what you need, or if it's a a setting in which people are going to be thinking that way anyway, then fair enough. One of the things that's awkward about the sort of magic I used, and that Ars Magica also uses, is that it defines the world in terms of a limited number of nouns and verbs. And... That's fairly consistent with historical magic as well. Yeah, true. But it doesn't really... The 36 decans are obviously the, the correct answer. I used them, didn't I? But they're <laughs> bloody eccentric and very, very weird. Um, and, and, uh, and it does terrible things to a person when they, they define, find themselves possessed by the spirit of negation and uh, defeat and slowly fading away. Ah, uh, good old Hephaestus, yes. <sighs> Show off. <laughs> I my, the character I was playing last night accidentally picked up an attunement to that particular deck, and it's it, it's not not a bad thing. She's quite used to it now. Yeah. <laughs> All right, but but they 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 are exceedingly weird, and there are large numbers of things you keep running into things which the set of words does not work with, mm. but a totally free form sort of of magic a magic where you can't you can call up anything you can do anything maybe with varying levels of uh, of difficulty the as in the magic system in maelstrom which had a had a nice idea but behind that was basically probabilistic wasn't it yeah the 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 harder that the the less likely this thing is to come about the harder you're going to have to work to make it come about Mm. but I've lost my train of thought again. Where did I put it? Um, but but I think this this too has, has difficulties. You've got to have some sort of organisation of magic, but what looks like obvious things to well, either, either that or look, look, to, to, to Aristotle and and Plato and and that lot. Fire looked like a thing. To us, it looks like an event, uh, which combines and affects numerous things Mm -hmm. so what i think i am i I am saying is the way we categorize things may be ultimately arbitrary yes it would be uh look look at the history of invented languages um Mm. a lot of it around some late 1600s early 1700s was the idea that if if we 
to find the perfect language. Yeah. It will be much easier to learn and it will it will explain everything. And we wouldn't be able to lie in it, honestly. What <laughs> bloody good is a language you can't lie in, I ask you? Or be ambiguous in. The the word for dog is a combination of of the words for, you know, sort of four-legged and animal and makes a noise and so on. Yeah, and not, and not, uh, uh, yeah, but, but, but we, but a taxonomist would categorize it as being a, a, being a mammal of, this subgroup of this family. The, the basic problem with, with any of these things is you have to write a taxonomy of the universe and let, let us learn from history and not try to do this impossible thing. Eh? Oh, well, yeah, except... <laughs> not, it, not, only the, not only every physical thing in the universe, but every possible activity in the universe. Well, I'll tell you one thing. That has struck me as a possibility. Harnmaster, which is um, an old system which is kept up to date. I've heard uh, of it, never played it. All right. It has a magical um, uh, order in it, which I think is intended to be an impersonation, an adaptation of the um, of something like the Order of Hermes from uh, Ars Magica, and they have six opposed magical principles in a wheel, with a seventh, which is grey magic, which is meta magic, which governs them governs them all. Mm-hmm. Um, there's fire and there's growing things, there's metal and there's living thinking thing, there's living things and there's thinking things and there it's grouped together in 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 a wheel and the and the and they were in pairs that opposed each other. Mm. The truly great magicians master all six spokes of the wheel, and then the grey magic yeah. and become. And it's written out almost as a throwaway in the background that this isn't the only possible um, combination, that there are other sorts of possible magic. One thing you could do is design a system where... Actually, that's brilliant, Michael. You've got six players at the moment. (laughs) Where each person chooses... When you found a covenant or a group of or a school of magic, each person chooses the thing they focus on, and group you group them together so that they become mutually supporting and mutually antagonistic forces, defined at that moment as having power over this set of things. There may be other things out there in, in the universe, but you're not concerned with that. You're concerned with these things here perhaps it's each covenant each each research school or maybe they teach other people and become founders of a new school but i think you could do it that way take a subset of the of the universe care about it deeply hmm. and learn all the ways of it i th- that doesn't mean that that would mean that there are other schools out there you don't want it to become quite like the the magic schools in um, unknown armies, which make perfect sense in themselves, but not related to everything else. I was unknown thinking... armies is a glorious mess, and I'm really mm. looking forward to the, the to the new edition. But it, it it makes only a very peculiar sort of sense of the universe. I was thinking of a programming language metaphor. Go on. So what what you do can vary hugely. Mm. And the processing behind it that you you don't particularly mess with can vary hugely, but the end result of that processing is a, is a 
all working in the same space. Hmm. Well, I think so. You know, I, I I write a fireball spell in Perl, and you and you write it in Visual Basic, and they they essentially both produce a fireball, but they are completely different things that we are doing. Yeah, except the hmm, the computer. Uh, yet to think that the computer of the universe is running more than one language at once. Well, you can run lots of languages on a single computer. Yes. Yeah. Because what the computer is not running language directly, it's running the translated form that you produced. That's true. Which makes the metaphor even more difficult because yeah, because you can't act excuse me, nothing human can think in in the terms all right, Roger, you probably can. The in the t- in terms of the code, or at least not Yeah, so so what your school of magic gives you hmm. is the translation layer, the compiler. Yeah. And it, and some some computer languages are good at handling one sort of thing. Yeah, and some some of them are just faster than others. Some of them are, are very easy to get stuff happening in, but it will usually go wrong. <laughs> I'm not going to name any names here. <laughs> uh, the yeah, that actually actually quite tempting. Yeah, I, I had too felt tempted by the idea of um, of running a magic game using all the stuff that's in GURPS thaumatology. <laughs> and I, I've only thought about it for brief ecstatic moments, and I was probably slightly drunk at the at the time. But have you seen Age of Gold? Uh, I've seen it. I don't think I've absorbed it. Tell no, us about it. it. It's it's an extension. It's it's a world example world for thaum- for thaumatology using the principles of yeah. that book too. Um, it's got I think four five worked magic systems in it Ook. using various different ways of doing things hmm. uh, th- th- this one is very effective it'll get you eaten by demons and so on <laughs> I think I think I would tend to leave the demons out of it except they're so useful as uh, they are another way of nerfing, nerfing uh, magic the, the temptations of magic are a really important thing to build into any particular bit of world building. That's a... Mm, it's a fact specific worldview. I mean, why are the temptations of magic any different from the temptations of any other knowledge? Because you're... Or pe- temporal power, or... I think, because, well, at least in at least one version, because you're paying for the magic with bits of your soul. Because you're paying for the magic... I worry when I think about RuneQuest about what's happening to all those bits of power, which are the power is your soul characteristic, which magicians are binding into uh, magical objects in order to achieve their evil ends. <laughs> it's it's all right if you sacrifice a bit of your soul to your god in order to get bits of their power. They're presumably going to look after that, though even that has... Quite nasty implications. Ignore the quiet burping sound. <laughs> Thank you. Burp for your sacrifice. Um, but if you're binding bits of your soul into various bits of hardware that are left lying around even after you die, I'd, I'd worry about that if I were a sorcerer. Well, is is that their soul or their spirit or something else? I think that's their soul. Let's let's um, be absolutely br- brutal here. That that is their that that is their essential immortal self. That they are. We, we know chipping that if you run out off. of this resource, you die. Actually, it's like if you run out of this resource, you cease to exist. You are no longer are. There are people, uh, things, uh, the the vampires in the in the in the. Uh, 
in the RuneQuest uh, universe give up their soul in order to be an eternal spirit and mind. I'm not sure it's a good deal, but they like it. <laughs> uh, we've wandered off the, the, the point here, largely, as, as we tend to do. If you were starting, you don't do magic, do you? Well, yes and no. I'm running a campaign at the moment um, in which a number of people in 1930 have suddenly found themselves able to perceive hmm. uh, what we might as well call magic. Yeah. Um, and this is this is the early days of the campaign. I don't want to say much about it, but I think it's fairly apparent that I have an idea of what's going on behind the scenes. Hmm. And I'm hoping that the players will gradually discover this. When they do, they will say, but you said this, and it doesn't mean that. Well, they're going to whine at you. No, probably. Yeah. <laughs> so did you design that, or did you take it as as generated by somebody else? Yes, I think I can answer that. It is all out of my head. Right, okay. There are elements from a lot of things. Yeah, and this is set in the real world, and so people have real world theories about how magic works, just mm. as they did in 1930. And how much those are connected to the, the magic of this particular thing that I'm talking about is something that's going to be discovered. Mm. I, I sometimes wish I was playing in it, but it's not really practical, is it? Well, that Wednesday depends. nights. Yeah, you, you are. I think. I mean, I I think anybody who who wants to do this can profit by reading uh, Phil Masters' treatment of various things in um, in Thaumatology, which I I reread in preparation for this. I think I think one of the things you have to do to start with is th decide how much of modern physics and science you're going to throw away. If you're going to say if you and how much you're going to try to incorporate. I'm much more inclined to keep it. Yeah, but that's because you understand it, Roger. To a degree. For, uh, to a first I'm approximation. no sort of expert. Well, yeah, and I find it very difficult to get away from O-level physics when, where, when I, do, I do things which are fantastical. But I got the feeling that for the fantastic nature of it, it would be better for me if I did it that way, if I threw those things away. You may well be right. I, I just find it quite hard to work in a, well, a, a non-inquiring. You, you say it's the nature of the thing to do this, hmm. and I start wanting to try to isolate that nature. Yes, yeah, so do my players, and and I'm sort of, of grateful. I, the, the nice thing about having, having a, a, I think philosophy might be the right word, hmm. that, that is consistent with experimentation and learning stuff, is that that is where the players are starting from, hmm. even if the characters shouldn't be. Yeah, I think I, th I think the glorious thing about players is that they ask awkward questions and they find uses for things like uh, that you never thought of. Yeah, this is why designing magic systems for games is much harder than designing them for linear fiction. Because you design the, the examples of magic um, to fit the story you want to tell, or you build the story around the neat example of magic that you've got. And you can simply require your character not to ask an awkward question at the wrong time. Yeah. You you you, you take that from the fan, fan, fan mail afterwards and then use it to write the next set of, of stories. <laughs> the, I was thinking about Randall Garrett's Lord Darcy stories and how each one is built around a very few um, magical effects which, which yeah. turn up and are, ooh, cool. And you can use those... And you can use those for um, 
creation. I, I think there are two uh, magical ideas in the in the one about the murder of the of the chap in Canterbury. Oh hell, I've forgotten the title. Where they uh, uh, they uh, one is a, um, a forensic technique where they cr- recreate a, 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 a piece of clothing out of a, a torn a torn tab yeah. uh, of it um, using the the principle of uh, I cannot remember what it's co- uh, called uh, called in that. Uh, that that that's something that's been part of some uh, something contagion cont- contagion something that's been part of something is still part of, uh, of that thing in some sense, and the other one is is the MacGuffin which explains how everything works, but is uh, plainly put in front of you. Here is an extraordinary magical thing, and oh yes, that's what happened to explain the slightly awkward facts of the case, <laughs> and. On the whole, I, I I feel it would be nice if I could do things that way. But magical forensics is a whole other thing. What can you know? What can you find out? Can you... What do... Do things know anything? Do things have spirits? Is a big question. If there is any sort of consciousness in that tree over there, can I ask it what went what went on around it? There's a more horrifying one than that. Yeah. Uh, there's there's a power in GURPS, speak with plants, yes. which lets you converse with plants, and it gives them gives them enough intelligence to be able to answer you. Yeah. And tell them tell you what they've perceived for the duration of the spell. They don't have that intelligence afterwards. What happens to it? Uh, it um. I think I think that if, the, if you speak to the same plant again ten days later, is it going to have the same personality? Yeah, such as it was. If you do this too often, will you awaken your uh, your cactus? <laughs> <laughs> I've been sitting here thinking for a while. You have. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> Got to get some more water. I feel like bursting into flower. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. <laughs> And if the but uh, one of the one of the things that Ask Magica did, and which I was leading up to in Dawn of Magic, is the corrupting effects, or rather the radiation-like effects, the mutating effects of too much exposure to magic. And I think that's a really neat idea that needs to be played <laughs> with. You've got to be being very, very careful how much magic you let into the universe. Is a really good nerfing effect, and I and I I recommend it to many people. The ecological approach. The ecological approach. The the case of the toxic spell dump. Yeah, the flip side of that being uh, Larry Niven's uh, short stories, and I think he expanded it to a novel. The magic goes away, which there is magic in an area. Yeah, and it will very very slowly refill. But if you if you build a, a spell that essentially just consumes magic, you can leave a, a, a magically blank area. Yeah, well, for the, thousands of years. Well, and gradually, the overall level of magic is going down because it refills so slowly, and there are magicians. Well, actually, no, I think I think he wrote it even, even worse than that. I think he he said he he wrote it as as magic is like coal and oil that isn't ever going to be any more of it. Might have been that I don't remember that. And uh, and uh, at one point, um, as a big uh, spectacular flashbang, somebody launches a magical expedition to the moon. Because the moon has huge reserves of mana, which nobody is using. Hmm. I don't think it ends well. That may be a spoiler. 
I, I think I think I think we ought to put in a spoiler for uh, for Larry Niven. He's he's not he's not dead yet for one thing. I, if you have any thoughts about how to design magic systems, please let us have them, and we will um, may return to this at some other time. There may be worked examples. I've just had a neat idea. <laughs> Oval comments that one of the things he has a problem with as a GM is when he asks another gamer to tell them the character idea, which is before they start working, putting down any numbers, and they tell they tell them about the history of the character, and he's he's finding players have find it difficult to correct that from from the backstory to what they do you know, mm. as opposed to what they have done. What's he like? Not how did he get that way? Yeah, is this a problem that that so? Uh, we, we have met, and what do we do about it? I don't think I have. I think... Well, I think I think his players may be, may be doing uh, more of the work for him. Look, look at something like GURPS. You have a set of... You're going to want to, your character to have a set of personality-defining um, disadvantages. Uh, things like um, being a coward or being unreasonably brave. Uh being um, all for sex um, or afraid of it. And these give you points, but they also give you what, which is much more valuable than the points, an idea about how you're going to play the character, how you're going to give them a, a screen time. And I think that is um, uh, that is interesting, but it's very mechanical. And if you're starting with backstory, aren't you starting by defining the things that made them into um, who they are today? I want I want a character who has been a, a mercenary, a spy, or a private eye. I want a character who has been who has lost his parents. I want a character who has. I'm not quite sure what's what is backstory when when Brett Brett is talking about it. How much detail is the backstory going into? I was wondering whether this might be a a problem with assumed narrativism because if you're thinking in terms of a character arc, yeah, then what you have up to the point the story starts is the beginning of that arc, mm. and that's not where they are now. It's how they've got to where they are now. Yeah, I. I feel that uh, the the mistake here. I feel that the mistake here is, is that you is to would be to predefine this too much. There's it's there's always a chance to bring in um, to do the origin episode later in the campaign. I don't think I've ever done that. Well, I, I, I mean, uh, perhaps not not literally going back in time. But bringing in the, the 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 people who from back home who knew the character when, hmm. or bringing in um, their their cousin who they betrayed, or bringing in their back history and illustrating it as part of the story, seems to me a, a really good a narrative uh, narrative thing. But if you predefine everything about a character, if you know too much about a character. If you saw the uh, uh, the BBC uh, um, 
uh, drama doc about the early days of Doctor Who, um, uh, mm. um, uh, an adventure in time and space. You notice that the producer said, "Cut all that bit about where they came from. Cut all, all that detail about about the, 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 their home planet and uh, and how far away it is and all that and in time and space and all that. Leave that undefined." And that was a wise decision. Eventually, yes, they had to. They had to learn about the Time Lords, and eventually, they had to go to Gallifrey. And I know people who say that this was a bad thing. Well, the more you define things, the more it shuts down what you can do with them. Yeah, but sometimes, someday, eventually, you don't always have to decide. You can leave Remington Steele as mysterious as he was um, at the start of the uh, of, of the of the season. Uh, and in the final, at the end of the final season, as he was at the start of the. I first. think it's worth mentioning here the idea of the iconic character, which is, I think, Robin Law's term for it. Yeah. I don't know if there's another one used elsewhere, but I, I think of this as, as the serial protagonist, somebody like Doc Savage, who at the mm. end of the adventure is basically the same guy he was at the beginning of the adventure. This is the exact opposite of, of the of the character arc that is regarded as terribly important by particularly screenwriters at the moment. Well, yes. Because, well, development, sympathy, all that, all that sort of thing, which can go entirely too bloody far. Yes, yes, Green Lantern really is a man without fear. That's his defining characteristic. You don't throw him it away and make him just some poor schmuck who's just denying it his fear. It's stupid. <laughs> but it, it, if you are, if you get away from the arc and go to the iconic character, then I think you have you have a better uh, idea of what's going on because. Or rather, this particular thing is uh, more easily solved because it doesn't matter what he did last week. Mm. That would probably be the same thing he was doing the week before that. This he's the sort of guy who does this. This is a guy who who sneaks around and is very careful not to kill people mm. or whatever. That, well, hang on. You, you, the thing is that that we're looking at like, two separate things. We're looking at cap- capability, and we're also looking at motivation and and. Yeah, defining character. At this point, I mean, at, at the pre-numbers point that we're talking about, and, yeah. and, and I do like the pre-numbers approach, um, I, I, what, what I would say is, I, I suspect quite similar to what Brett is saying, just tell me about this character. Who is this person? What does he do? What, how does he feel about things? And but um, the, the, These all to go together. You don't have to separate it into one well, box no. that's personality and another box that's skills. Well, well no. You, the, these are the things he does. Well, but, the, but the player... Wants to say this is he does this. Uh, Batman has backstory. He has um, he does this because his parents um, were shot to death in front of him uh, when he was at, at a tender age. That's his defining characteristic. Now that's all you really need in backstory, and you could fi- you could fill it if you were starting right in the middle. You can fill in the in the rest as you go. He starts with Alfred as his companion. He starts with. Um, with stately Wayne Manor, you can write Year Zero later. You can find um, the origin story in the campaign. But the fact that he has an obsession for justice is at the core of his character, and you want to know that. Mm. Um, but backstory, backstory becomes tedious when it's just a list of of stuff. It, it's it when it when it illustrates the character and says why he does it now. 
that's when it's important. Yeah, I, 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 and I'm not sure what what the players are groping towards. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to distinguish this. I mean, if I say my character spent twelve years at ninja school and now he's a master ninja, well, that can be summed up as he's a master ninja. Yeah. If I say he spent twelve years at ninja school during which he was regarded as a very second rate student, and he he kept his true skills secret because that yeah. starts to be personality. Yeah. Um. But. If you start going into and he was bullied by uh, uh, by by uh, by uh, uh, by one people who thought who thought he was be- better than him, but he knows really, then that starts to be tedious backstory and, and is useless. And That's the sort of thing that I would I would send. I, I might say yes, he was sometimes bullied because of this, and then if the GM wants to use that, I, what what I want to do as the player is leave hooks for the GM to tread on. I mean to to use yeah. uh, in the game if he wants to. Um, because one of the things I want to do is, is say this is not just the adventure and yeah. then we slot the characters into it. This is the adventure that these particular characters are having. So the more the more things I leave threads I leave for the GM to tug on. Yeah, one, one, the, the more the GM can say, Oh well that, that that particular one actually fits with something I was thinking about anyway, so let me yeah. let's put that together. One thing that I do like, um, which I've seen in uh, in Powered by the Apocalypse and uh, once or twice in Hero Quest character generation, is to say, right now, and what are your connections to the other players? Well, we've talked about this before. I know mm. that that we that as part of character generation, you you design the group to a degree. It, it is well, possible to, to e- bring the group the together message. for the first time, and sometimes that's that's a good. That's a good first adventure, but yeah. not always. Even at the metagame level, um, you're, you're going to be saying, okay, here is our face man, let's not have two face men in the party, that sort mm. of thing. I've seen an awful lot of introductory adventures that, that take the form, you are all in some isolated place or conveyance or whatever, and bad things happen and you have to work together to deal with them. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't really satisfy for me, um, because it it could work... But it needs to be a combination of here is this immediate danger and there is this other thing behind it that's going to take a long time to look into and we, having met this immediate danger, are more aware of it than anybody else. Mm. Yeah, the, why, the, that, why, that, that, why that the adventures stick together and keep assembling is a, is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a mystery to some degree. They've all got their own comic books. They've all got their own lives. Why are they not? Another one that which starts out, and I've used too often myself, is... Um, there, you are part of a, a of an organisation um, which deals with stuff like this, and you are the uh, uh, most junior and least experienced team. But everybody else is busy right now, so let's uh, send you out. The model I've been more prone to use is you are the only team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, we've uh, we've just sent response teams Alpha, Beta, and Delta out. You are a response team Gamma, and you're going to have to find out what's happening to them. In the World War Two, it's a slight, slight variation on that. In that they're pretty sure that there are other teams working for MI five Bureau five B, but they are not allowed to know about them. Mm. And this is entirely mutual. Yeah, I think I know what Brett means, and I know the sort of misplaced enthusiasm that he's getting. I think all you can yeah you can say to people who want to provide you with immense amounts of blue book data about what their character did. 15 years before the game started is say that's interesting but can we put it to one side we don't need to know this yet 
I would also say try to leave it as scaffolding for later, later hacking about by the GM. Hmm. Yeah, uh, some game systems have life paths, which are gener- um, Traveller being the most famous example, which generate yeah. backstory automatically. There is something to be said for Well, that they generate system. backstory-ish. A framework. Um, I, I jo- joined the Marines and I learnt this and this and this. And, uh, and oh, well, well, well Mongoose goes into, and I made an enemy yeah, here. Yeah, Mongoose and... has more events. Um, the, the first game I saw that did this particularly well was Cyberpunk, mm. um, which had really very little to do with the character generation. You would buy the skills you wanted and the yeah. stats you wanted and so on, but you would then go through this year-by-year thing of made a friend, made an enemy, um, got got caught for something, yeah, and did some time in prison or whatever. Which was basically fairly unrelated to the sort of character you were, but at least generated some sort of okay. This is this is how I know people. Yeah, this is the kind of stuff I've been up to before now. Yeah, uh, less random, more choosy sort of uh, variant of that is probably waiting to be made. Um, I still have on my shelves the the the, the central casting uh, <laughs> books. Oh, oh, oh yes. yes. Oh, come on. It's full of lovely ideas, even if it is totally wackadoodle. Um, First time I fired up one of those, I got a character who's who's the offspring of a god. And why not, I say to myself. (laughs) Got anything in particular? Um, Well, the character was a thief, so I think we said thieves, but, you know. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I think backstory needs to be bold and... General at the start uh, at the start of creation. I, I think I would say sketched in. Yeah, but you need you need. I would like some reason for my character to have these. Um, I mean, there's there's no 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 uh, there's no justification ever needed for lecherousness other than um, <laughs> other than uh, uh, are, are you willing to play this to the hilt? Um, yeah, though though there is the. Um, do do you simply enjoy the company of the appropriate sex and are therefore indulging in every opportunity, or or are you one of those notches on the belt types, for example? Both, yeah. both of those could be represented by the lecturer's disadvantage. Do you have something to prove? Um, are you actually a gentleman about about this, um, or, or 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 do you break hearts and and shatter minds as 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 you, as you go? Now, one approach to that would be to, descri- to describe it as backstory, the, proce- the process that led to this. But I think it could simply be done descriptively as well. It's not necessarily going to have points, though. If you have lecherousness and sadism and uh, callous, then that, that then starts to indicate Bond. something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, there are. Uh, yeah, there, there have been um, backstories written for written for Bond about why, why he is such an. A, Complete and utter swine to women, and I'm sure, and, and I'm, and it's a lovely thing to do. But I'm sure Ian Fleming didn't need that explanation when it, when he sat down and wrote Casino Royale. I don't think it makes him a more interesting character. That that's the key thing, actually. Mm. Uh, if the character works as an iconic character, and I think practice for RPGs should. Yeah. Then you shouldn't need the detailed explanation. It may be interesting to the dedicated fan, and the and the player should be a dedicated fan of his character. True, or, but it should not be necessary in order to play the character. Yeah, I was listening to talking about iconic characters, and specifically about James Bond. I was listening to um, the Grognard Files talking about uh, Top Secret, mm-hmm. 
And uh, they went into the scene, uh, which I've not seen in the new Casino Royale, not the silly one, mm. um, in which uh, Bond uh, kills somebody, um, perhaps for the first time, because this is an origin story for him. Yeah. And shows regret. And the thing about Bond is, the thing I've always assumed about him is that he is a stone killer. He does not regret killing people. Mm-hmm. And Otherwise he would be a quivering wreck. Well, yeah. I don't believe... You see, I don't believe that they. If if he weren't one of the peculiar people who doesn't mind killing people, then they'd never have recruited him for Double O Section. Mm. And I felt this is a this is a scriptwriter trying to make a Bond, character arc a, a Bond more human, <laughs> and he is slightly inhuman. That's the thing. Yeah, and uh, and it's the same problem as with Green Lantern. You they don't want to believe the character as specified. They don't want to go with it. They want to make. They want to humanize everybody. Well, also, also, I think early days comics tend to be iconic characters, mm. and you'll you'll get the thing at the beginning of Batman saying this is where he came from. But fundamentally, one one story to the next, he's pretty much the same Batman. Yeah, and it's later on that you start getting actual continuity. Yeah, and it seems to me that what we've got at the moment is people write, write, trying to write films with, with continuity and character arcs and stuff about characters who were designed as iconic ones. Yeah. And this is not going to sit quite happily. No, it won't. But, and on the other hand, the temptation for scriptwriters to, to if, you di- if you give them this and say treat it seriously, is to camp it up. They, mm. I mean, they did it to St- uh, Starship Troopers and they did it to Batman. The TV series, yeah, and uh, uh, and camping it up doesn't doesn't always work. Things that are designed to be camp that that start out, the Avengers didn't suffer from being camp. Well, that that had the trick of all appearing to take itself terribly seriously. Mm. You know, we we may be doing these silly these silly things in a pop art villain lair, but we are treating it as as deadly important. Yeah. And I think that's that's very uh, very cool to this. To get, to get it right, you, you you have to say right. These are characters who don't realise they're in a comedy. <laughs> the men from Uncle always took it terribly seriously, and they should because you know, yeah, especially are really nasty people. Again, it works for them too. Yeah, I think we've drifted off the point here Just a lot. Slightly. <laughs> I think I think the I think the 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 the, the, the note to give. To give to Brett, to give to his 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 players is, let's keep this simple for now. You may want to change it later. Yeah. So at the most broad outlines, if if you want to say he's lecherous because one sentence, yeah. then I guess that's fair. But yeah, fo- focus on the here and now, and yeah. If I if I meet him today, what do I learn about him? What what do I learn from re- reading his um, file about his last operation? Mm. That sort of thing. What is his standing with the organisation? Um, yeah, I think I think one thing you need to do is leave yourself a certain amount of leeway of of working in room with a character. Do not assume because you are designing the character, you know everything about them. When you go, when you go in, you will need to find out things about um, how he relates to his great uncle Rudy, 
or, uh, or yeah, or, there, is, there is always some degree of adjustment once the campaign has started. Yeah, and started. you may you may may start out with the idea that you're going to play him as a as as a heartbreaker, a lady killer, and the dice and your actual experience of playing the character may make you want to change. He may be a clown rather than a cad. Yeah, that that one I was playing last night. I didn't realise for about um, twelve sessions that she was actually terminally overconfident. <laughs> Take it from the beginning, yeah. Uh, uh, beginning, yeah. If you're if you're that sort of player, uh, you're not always overconfident, are you? No, no. But this particular character is so. right. Well, as far as as far as I can tell, there is a difference between background and backstory and and character, but they intertwine. And they yeah, but, but, but in quite I, a complicated I, way. I, I think, as as you're saying, say, saying to the player, "Don't pin yourself down too much." May, may be the, the the trick to this. Yeah. If if that's what they are doing, because that is something we could, as you say, either have as a flashback or have as a here here is a person from your past. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Not 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 your old uncle who's died and left you the house, please. But uh, yeah. Well. I do remember enjoying the moment when Ben, ben Grimm's great aunt Petunia finally turned up. <laughs> and on that note, I think we will wrap. That there was Improvised Radio Theatre with Dice, with me, Michael Kuehl. And me, Roger Bellwurst. Please send us your designs for the metaphysics of the universe, or, if you really must, long lists of the background of your, your characters. Which we'll steal for NPCs. We will, we will. Um, no credit will be given, nor, you will not even uh, get a no prize or a cookie. Please send them to, to us via the website, or... Email to podcast at tekeli.ly. And we will be... Are you going to be at the EasterCon, Roger? Yes. And so will I. And if you are our adoring fans and want to buy us a drink, you will find us remarkably non-resistant to that. And we hope to see you again in the glorious month of May. <laughs>